0: hear a story today about jesus speaking to a crowd and something interesting happens while he's in the middle of his teaching they get interrupted by quite an interesting scene so let's read here verse 1 chapter 8 says this but jesus went to the mount of olives at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the pharisees "...brought in a woman called an adultery. adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say?" Pause there for a second. So picture the scene. They're in an open area of the temple, like a courtyard almost. And Jesus has sat down and he's teaching the crowd and they've all gathered in. I'm picturing them like squishing in to find a seat, kind of like you guys do where you hop over, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me. And they're, they're all sitting around listening to Jesus share and teach the Bible. Literally, they're doing what we're doing right now, which is opening the Bible and learning from it. And as Jesus is teaching, a commotion happens. There's an interruption, some people burst in and they're bringing this woman. And they drag her in and they throw her down at Jesus' feet. And the men who are bringing them in, or bringing this woman in, are the religious leaders of the time. And you need to understand the religious leaders of the time did not like Jesus. And the reason they didn't like Jesus is because Jesus called it how it was. And Jesus exposed them for being hypocrites at times. They would pretend to be so holy and so righteous and they had long robes and they would remember we talked a couple of weeks ago all the crazy things they do like they would take the Bible and they'd write a little piece of paper and then they put it in a box and they would put the box on their forehead. They're like I'm so holy, I put the Bible on my head. I wear it around. Imagine somebody who took a Bible and they taped it to their forehead and they're like I'm super holy, I have the Bible on my forehead. These were these guys. But Jesus called them out and said, you guys are actually hypocrites. Because in your hearts, you don't truly love God. You love people giving you attention and thinking you're important. So these people didn't like Jesus because he challenged them. And he said things like, listen, you don't have to have a bunch of schooling in the Bible to be high and mighty in the kingdom of God. All you have to have is a love for God and love for people and to serve other people. So these people don't like Jesus, so they wanted to trick Jesus. They wanted him to make a mistake. They wanted the people to not like him anymore. So they bring this woman to Jesus, and this woman had committed the act of adultery. Now, we've talked before about what adultery is. Adultery is when someone has sex outside of marriage, so with somebody that is not their husband or is not their wife. Now, again, we remember, we talked a couple weeks ago, about how sex is not a bad thing. It's actually something God created. And he created it to be, though, between a husband and a wife. And the danger is when you take that outside of marriage. So this woman had been caught committing adultery. And she had been caught by these religious leaders. And they grabbed her. They drug her before Jesus and threw him threw her at his feet. I want you to pause for just a second. And imagine how she must have felt. Here is this woman who is in front of all of her neighbors, all of her family, and all the people of her community. She has been drugged inside of church or inside of the temple, thrown at the feet of the preacher or the religious teacher Jesus, and in front of everyone, these men have proclaimed this woman is an evil woman. She has sinned. And you know what she has done? She has had sex outside of marriage with someone that wasn't her husband. Jesus, how should we punish her? Imagine the shame and the embarrassment that she must have felt. How she must have just shrunk before them. How she must have just burst into tears as everybody that she loves, everybody that she knows, has heard her deepest, darkest secret and it's been made known to everyone. And now on top of all that, she might die because of what she's done. Imagine the guilt and the burden where she must think to herself, man, I'm not worthy to be in this place. I mean, I'm not worthy and my life is ruined. Everyone will not look at me the same. They won't look at me the same. Every time they look at me, they'll just see what I did wrong. They'll just see my sin. She must have just melted before them. And Jesus does something interesting in this scene. Jesus, it says, does just this. Read with me. It says, in uh, um, verse 6 it says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love how Jesus doesn't get nervous and it doesn't get too pressured. All these people are staying around. What should we do? What should we do with this woman? And Jesus just goes, "No, oh, oh, cool. And he just starts to doodle. And he's just drawing in the ground. And, you know, maybe he's drawing something. Like, he's like, Oh, here's a car. Nobody knows what these are going to be for a long time. Or maybe he's just drawing like a self-portrait. Or maybe Peter's like, Hey, dude, I think he's drawing you, Thomas. And Thomas is like, no, but he's drawing you because it's ugly. And, you know, maybe the disciples are like, what is Jesus even doing? What's going on here? And I I picture, too, one of the disciples just walking up to Jesus being like, hey, Jesus, hey, buddy, excuse us, guys. So there's a crowd of people here, and they're angry and yelling, and you're drawing pictures in the ground. What if you just, like, talk to them, maybe? I I don't know. I'm just a disciple. But Jesus, Jesus. Jesus? Like, I'm picturing, like, what what are people even thinking? And it says the crowd keeps questioning him, keeps asking him, what do we do with this woman? What do we do with this woman? The Bible says that she has sinned and should be punished. What should we do? And so finally, Jesus answers them. Let's read. says here, they kept on questioning him. He straightened up, and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and began to write in the ground. So Jesus, you know, after they keep talking, keep talking. Finally, Jesus goes, all right, stretch it out a little bit. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. And they're like, all right, what are we going to do? And he goes, all right, everybody pick up a stone. And they're like, all right, here we go, yeah, here we go. And they go, all right, the first person that throws a stone at her will be a person who has never sinned. So you guys are welcome to punish her if you want. But you can only punish her if you have never once in your life sinned. You've never done anything wrong. Then he just stoops back down and starts drawing again. And it says... If you notice and keep going. It says that at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left. It says the men that were angry around her holding these rocks. Looked at her and they heard Jesus' words. If you've never sinned, then throw the rock. And each one of them realized they had done something wrong one at a time. starts with the older guys. They're like, oh, man, I know I've done a lot of bad things. They drop the rock, and they walk away. And the younger guys are like, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't done anything this week. Okay, maybe I, I, I did, you know, slap my little brother. Okay, that was kind of bad. Maybe, but he's kind of maybe deserved it. Okay, well, I cheated on that test. But you know, that teacher's so hard. Like, I don't, I don't even know if that counts. Maybe, okay, okay well, I... I did stub my toe and yell that bad word. Okay, that's pretty bad. Okay, I did, I did also lock my brother in the doghouse. That's pretty bad. That cage is small. I should probably go let him out. And they drop the rock and go home, you know? like They're all one by one realizing, wait, I'm not perfect. They all drop their rocks. And so usually when I'm telling you a story, I'm telling you obviously what the Bible says, and it's not like an opinion, it really is. But but I'm going to have a moment, I'm just going to share what I think was happening for just a second. The Bible doesn't say what Jesus was drawing in the ground. But I just want to take a guess at what he might have been drawing. I think when Jesus was drawing in the ground, he bent down and he was drawing in the ground. And as he was, the men were looking at him. And I think what Jesus was drawing was a reminder of the things that they have done wrong. Maybe Jesus, because remember, Jesus knows every face of the men in the crowd, and he knows the things that they have done wrong, even if they're not public. I think Jesus knelt down, and maybe he wrote the number of how much money one of them stole. And they see that number, and they go, oh, wow, he knows and they sheepishly walk away, embarrassed. Maybe he writes the name of a girl that they know they have wronged or done something wrong with, and like, oh no, he knows, and they realize they've done something wrong, and they walk away. Maybe he writes the date down from when one of them did something wrong, and they see that, and they walk away, because they realize that they are not perfect, that they have done things wrong as well, that they, just like her, could be there in front of everyone, shamed. So one by one they walk away. This isn't the point of the sermon, but I just want to mention this. We should be very cautious before we look at other people and say, they're a sinner, they're an evil person, they're wrong. Because we need to first look at ourselves and say, well, hold on, are there things in my heart that I do wrong? There's nothing wrong with identifying that is a sin, that is not a good thing. It's okay to do. And to look at someone and say, okay, I know what they're doing is not right. But before we start judging them or writing them off, we need to first check ourselves. But moving on, Jesus, as they all scatter, is left alone with this woman. And I don't know if she was curled over with her eyes closed, just waiting for the impact of that first stone. I don't know if she was looking around, nervous. But whatever it was, everyone who was angry at her and wanted to hurt her Left, And Jesus was standing there alone with her. It says that Jesus spoke to her and he said this. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go then and leave your life of sin. How beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? Again, remember what this woman was experiencing. She's in front of everyone. She's in front of all the people that she knew. Her sin is declared before everyone, and it's a bad one. And here on top of all this is this Jesus guy, this teacher, this religious man. And she's expecting him just to say, you know what? She has done something wrong. She deserves to be punished for what she's done wrong. Let's punish her right here. But no. He defends her. He goes, hey, guys, you guys are talking about what she's done wrong. Are any of you guys perfect? Have any of you guys been perfect in everything you've done? If you have, you can punish her. But have any of you been perfect? And they all leave. And then he looks at you. And he says, hey, I I know what you've done. Let me ask you this. Where are the people that were once angry at you and once wanted to accuse you for what you've done wrong? And you say, they've gone. And then he looks at you and he says, listen, you are free to go. You are not a prisoner. You are not held captive by what you've done wrong. You will not be punished for what you've done wrong. Go now in peace and sin no more. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's essentially saying here, listen, I forgive you for what you've done wrong. I know what you've done wrong, but I forgive you. Go now and don't go back to the life you were living, but live now righteously. You've been forgiven. You hear this story and you go, wow, what a great story. Doesn't that just make you feel good? You're like, yeah, take that mean dude to drag that woman in front of her. And you're like, yeah, man. It's just like a, an encouraging story. And just the sight of that's happy, almost. to see that redemption happen. But here's what I want you guys to realize. All of us, at one point in our life, we're like this woman. Or we are like this woman. Let me explain what I mean here. All of us have sinned and done something wrong. All of us have done something wrong. And because we do something wrong, there is a punishment that we deserve for what we've done wrong. And that punishment is death. And we have accusers. We have people who drag us before God and say they deserve to be punished. The Bible actually says that Satan is called our accuser. Did you know that? Satan is called our accuser. Picture a courtroom, all right? Picture a courtroom, and you've done things wrong in your life. You've sinned, and you're standing there in the courtroom. All the people are watching. And across from you, over here, is a man dressed in a slick suit, good-looking guy, who speaks suave, and as he's speaking, hey, guys over here, I need your attention. I need you to at least not be a distraction while we're teaching, okay? Okay? I get that from you guys? No talking or anything? Appreciate it. And the man's over here. And it's, there's a courtroom. And, and as the judge is God. And Satan is saying things to God like, God, I, I want to make sure you're aware of what uh, the defendant has done. This man is accused of doing many, many terrible, terrible things. I actually have a list here, and he rolls out the list. And if you have one for Barrett, he'd roll out the list of everything Barrett's ever done wrong. And it's a long list. And it would, like, go all the way back of the courtroom, through the doors, and just keep on rolling all the things I've done wrong. He's like, here's the list of everything Barrett's done wrong. I'm going to read them to you, God. And You tell me what you think we should do. Number one, okay, when Barrett was one years old, he vomited on his mother. Just spit all up on her. That was not mean. That was not nice. It was kind of mean. They too. He cried all night keeping his mom up. Not very nice, Barrett, is it? Let's skip here to age three. His brothers are born, and he greets them by biting them. That's not very nice, Barrett. I don't think that's really kind and loving. You know, I think he's breaking a few of your sins, God. Let's keep on going here. Oh, what's this? Age seven. Okay, Locks his brother in the pantry. Okay, Moves a chair in the way. Leaves him in there. Luckily, the brother survived because he ate food, but still, locked him in there. Uh, all right, moving here to age 13. He cheated on a geography test. He, che- he didn't know the capital Luxembourg, so he wrote it on his hand. It's Luxembourg. He should have known that. But anyway, he didn't know, and he cheated by writing on his arm. I thought, God, you told people not to lie. He here lied. Moving on here, age 16, he said this bad word. And moving on here, age 18, he disrespected his mother. And moving on, and just goes down, and he reads off every single thing that you have done wrong. And, guys, here's the worst part. You sit there and you listen and you know he's right. Everything he's reading, you've done. And you knew better. You knew you weren't supposed to do that. And as he talks, you start feeling worse about yourself. Like, my goodness, like, uh, I don't deserve to go to heaven. How can somebody as bad as me go to heaven? I, I do all these things wrong. Wait a second. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God's going to say. And we start to get more and more nervous and Satan's smile gets bigger and bigger. And as he finishes reading the list, he walks over towards you and says, you are guilty, guilty, guilty. Guilty." Maybe the last one he spits a little bit. And you're like, oh, come on, dude, really? And you're like, come on, really? He's like, guilty, 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 guilty. And he's just getting creepier and creepier. And you know what's crazy? We always think of Satan as this like ugly, scary like thing. But but actually the Bible says that Satan is actually beautiful. And what Satan does is he likes to wrap up sin and make it beautiful and disguise it and offers it to us. When Satan tempts you, he doesn't tell you the bad things. He tells you the good things, right? It's like, hey, you should cheat on this test because think, you'll get a better grade. Your parents won't get angry at you. Think, think about how good you'll feel when you get that test back and it's got a better grade on there. You should cheat on the test. Nobody will know. What Satan doesn't tell you is, hey, you could get busted. You can get in trouble and then you'll fail the test and then your parents will get even more angry at you than they would have if you just didn't do all well in the first place. And then you get on the honor roll, like you get that taken away and possibly you could get in school suspension. You know, he doesn't tell you that. He wraps it up really beautifully and offers you the sin. So, Satan suavely calls you guilty. And you bow your head in shame because you know that you are. And just when you're expecting God to just smack that gavel and give you a punishment, because I want you to understand something before we keep going. God is good. And that's a problem. Like, wait, wait, why is that a problem? God's good. Here's why that's a problem. God is just, and he hates evil. But he doesn't just hate the big evil. He doesn't just hate the small evil. He hates all that is not perfect, all that is evil and sinful. And the problem is, guys, we are sinful. We have done things wrong. And we cannot stand before God and be like, God, I I did a lot of good things. But he's like, but I, I hate all evil. And you can't be good enough to get rid of what you did wrong. You've sinned. You messed up. And so God is looking at us, and he has the right to punish us for what we've done because we messed up. And he has the right to hit that gavel and say, I sentence you to being separated from you forever, to not allowing you into heaven. What you've done is worthy and deserves death. And just as we expect God to hit that gavel in that courtroom and for us to get what we truly deserve, A voice speaks in our defense. And I love when I'm watching a TV show or a movie, and there's a dramatic courtroom entrance where the back of the courtroom, like the double doors just go boom. And he walks a lawyer, and he's got a suit, and he goes, I object. And he walks in there and throws his briefcase and... Pops it open. And he pulls out the folder. I have here, your honor, some evidence that will incriminate that this man is guilty and this man is innocent. And he puts it on the judge's table. But Jesus, bam, kicks in the door. He's like, I'm back, guys. Walks on up. He's like, oh, hey, Satan. What's up? Remember that time that you tried to kill me and then I came back from the dead? Because I'm awesome. And he walks into the courtroom. And he goes, your honor, I just want to let you know a couple things. Number one. <coughs> While my client has committed these sins, they have been cleared of their sins. I have here documentation to prove that these sins have been cleared because I died for their sins. You see, Jesus, Jesus knew that there was a punishment for our sins. And he paid the price for our sins. So he puts it on God's desk and says, God, I just want you to be aware uh, that those sins are paid for. And those mistakes that they made, not a problem anymore. And on top of all that, Your Honor, I just want to show you this. Uh, this is my righteousness. This is everything that I have done right. And when you look at the defendant, Your Honor, I want you to look at them as if everything that they have done is what I have done. In other words, this would be like the smartest kid in your class saying to the teacher, Hey, whatever I get on the test, could you assign this to Barrett? So basically, you know, like I'm going to take the test and hand it to Barrett. And Barrett's just going to write his name on it. And the teacher's like, Okay, cool you'd feel pretty good about life, wouldn't you? You know, you got that one kid in the class who just always gets hundreds, and he's writing your name as if you got it. And the teacher looks at you and goes, great job, Barrett. And you're like, you're welcome. Like, I didn't even do anything. But Jesus says, look, my righteousness, I give to you. So not only do I take your sin away, but I give you, in essence, the ability to say everything that Jesus did is like what I did. That means that the judge... God is looking at you, and He isn't looking at you saying, while well, you sinned, you did this wrong. He's looking at you, Actually, all your sins are gone. And on top of that, everything that Jesus did that is good, I look at you as if you did it. And on top of that, I don't just look at you as a defendant, I look at you as my daughter or as my son. Well, God takes the gavel, and He goes, Well, it appears that the sin is gone. And it appears on top of that, not only should they be freed from the courtroom and not go to jail, but they should be rewarded for the work of Jesus that you have done. And then he looks to Satan. And he says, in fact, Satan, you will be punished for the wrong that you have done. And he bangs the gavel, and victory is yours. And Jesus looks at you. He says, hey, um, you're free. The charges are dropped, and these charges not only account for everything that you have done, these charges can never be brought against you again. If you make another sin, make another mistake, Satan cannot bring this against you again. You're my child, and you're forgiven of everything that you will do. Now go and live in peace until one day we're united in heaven. That is the story Of our salvation. We have the same story of this woman. For Satan is standing there with rocks, ready to accuse us, ready to challenge us, hoping that we'll be punished for what we've done wrong. And Jesus says, No, if they would only believe in me and ask to be forgiven of their sins, then they're good and they're on my side. I had a student ask me, they came up to me and they were asking me as if it was like a a password. And they came up to me and they go, okay, uh, Bert, when I, when I die and go to heaven and I stand before God, what do I say? They really thought like, is there like a magic word? Do I have to speak in Latin? Or is it like a password to get into heaven? Like I have to say like, holy moly, love God, amen. And then I get in or is it like I say like, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then they let me in? Like, how, how does that work? Like, how do I, do I have to say, well, I went to church 70% of the time. 30% of the time, I went 70% of the time. Like, well, what, what do I say? Like, how do I get in? What do I say to God to get in? And I'm like, listen, you, you won't really need to say a thing. Because I said, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sin? They go, yeah. And they go, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And they go, Yeah. And you're sorry for what you've done wrong. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I go, okay, then. When you get to heaven and you stand before God, and when Satan brings those charges against you, Jesus is going to be like, hey, uh, God, actually, and he's going to whisper to you, hey, this one's mine. I actually know this guy. Uh, We go way back. We're good friends. And God will look at you and be like, that's my son. (laughs) I'm letting him in for sure. Jesus will speak in your defense, meaning you don't need to fear death because death is just your celebration party for going into heaven. Death is just a transition. It's just a move, and it's the best kind of move, because you're leaving a body that is frail and dying in a world that is not perfect and has pain and suffering in it, and you're entering into a new body where you will not feel pain or sorrow or hurt anymore, and you will be with God forever in heaven. Amen. Amen. I want you guys to realize this. We as Christians do not need to walk around with our heads down, embarrassed, because you know what Satan wants to do? Every time you make a mistake or sin, he wants to whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. How could God let you into heaven? He whispers lies in your ear like that was was it. You made a mistake. That was too big. That was too grand. That was too disgusting. God will not forgive that. And he accuses you and he whispers those lies in your ear. And I love this quote. It's a pretty famous saying. But it's whenever Satan tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. Whenever Satan is whispering those lies to you, remember what you did? Remember how evil that was? You know what you can say to Satan? Just pray in your head. You'll be like, hey, uh, Satan, guess what, dude? Um, so Jesus forgave me of all those sins. And actually, he's going to forgive me of everything I'm going to do. And I'm going to be in heaven one day. And when I'm in heaven, uh, God's actually going to uh, judge you for what you've done wrong. And he's going to cast you into like, a lake of fire, and you're going to burn in hell. So kind of sounds terrible, but it's the truth. Because you're the worst. Literally, you are going to be punished. And sometimes we get this mentality, we get this wrong thought, that Satan will be in hell, and he'll be in charge, and he'll be poking people with a weird fork. I don't know why people think that. Or he'll be like, (laughs) you know, poking people. (laughs) No. Actually, Satan will be in hell, and Satan will be punished for what he has done wrong. He won't be enjoying himself. He'll be suffering the anguish and the wrath of God. We do not need to live lives where we are fearful. We can live boldly as Christians. Now, I want to make sure we don't make this mistake. I want to make sure we don't make the mistake of thinking, okay, cool, Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins that I have committed or will commit, so now I should just live however I want to. That's wrong because Jesus is saying, listen, he said to the woman, do not return to your sin. Leave your life of sin and sin no more. The Bible has a passage where it's talking and it says, do not return to your sin like a dog returns to its vomit. I have a miniature toy poodle. I shouldn't say I do. My parents do. It's like this big. It's a fluffy white ball. It's evil. Evil dog. Bites people. And uh, just mean. And uh, I, I remember one time we were all in the family room watching, I don't know, football or some TV show. And it goes behind the couch. And it starts hacking and just, and we're like. Maybe it'll die. I mean, oh, that's terrible. No, I mean, uh, um, but maybe. No, that's terrible. I'm kidding. I didn't pray that, maybe. Uh, and so it's, you know, hacking. behind. like, uh, 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 and if you knew this dog, you wouldn't feel sorry for it. It's mean. Anyway, hacking behind the couch, and then it trots off. It's like, and it, like prances everywhere it goes. It's terrible. And his little bell, like little collar, there's clings. So he pranced off. Like Okay, that's weird. And we start to smell something. Like, Ugh, something that smells terrible. And then we see it prance on back behind the couch, and then it leaves, and then he prances back behind the couch. And we're like, what is going on? So we go over to the, behind the couch, and we look there, and on the carpet is the nastiest stain and collection of filth and scent, and the consistency of it was just wrong. And I don't know how much nastiness came out of one little thing. Like, you'd think it'd be a smaller, you know, puddle of nastiness if it was a small creature, but I was wrong. It was disgusting. And you look at that, and the dog is doing this. <laughs> It's sniffing the vomit. This dog was sniffing its own vomit. I hope. If you ever get sick and throw up in the toilet or somewhere, you don't go back and go, oh, how bad was that? Oh, pretty bad. Yeah, that was about- Hey, Steve, come here, check this out. Why do you guys do this? This isn't part of the sermon. But guys, why do we smell something bad and go, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever spent in my life. I think I'm going to throw up. Hey, Steve, come check it out. Why do we do that? I don't. Ladies are like, we don't know. You guys are weird and dumb. We're like, yeah, probably. But this dog returns to its own vomit. It's like, hey, you just threw that up. Why are you going back to it? You got rid of that nastiness. Why are you going back to it? I want us to understand something. When we've been forgiven of our sin as Christians, why do we go back to our sin? The very thing that almost killed us, we return to. Why? Why? Why would we do that? If you narrowly escape death from almost falling off a cliff, why would you go back to the same cliff and lean over again? Why is it that we're forgiven of our sin, and we go right back to that cliff and we lean over it again? There's no reason to do that. No good can come of that. And it's also disrespectful to God. We've just been cleaned. Why do we go back to the mud? Why would we go back to the filth? I want you to know, if you're a Christian here today, that there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from God's love. I don't want you to get to a point where you sin so bad and Satan's whispering in your ear, you're not good enough, you're not beautiful anymore, you're not precious, you're not his son anymore, you're not his daughter anymore. I know what you've done. And you get so nervous and afraid. You don't need to. Because in reality, what happens is Jesus dismisses those accusers. He dismisses Satan. He dismisses those voices in your head. And he says, son or daughter, where are your accusers? Where is your punishment? I have rid that of you. You are forgiven. Now stand up again and go out in this world and sin no more. Know that you are forgiven. Know that you are loved. And nothing you can do can separate me from that. Or separate you from that. So if you're in this room today and you're a Christian, I want you to hold on to that. Don't have a fear of what will happen when you pass or when you die. Hold on to the hope of what happens in Jesus. Now, as I've been talking, if you thought to yourself, well, Barrett, I, I don't know if I have been forgiven of my sins. I don't know if I stand up there in heaven before Jesus. He'll go, yeah, I know that guy. I know that girl. I I don't think I've ever had a time where I just paused and said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I don't think I've done that before. I want you to know that you can do that today and you can walk out of this room standing tall. Not afraid of what you have done wrong, but walking in confidence and knowing what Jesus has done for you. He died for you and he loves you so that you might be with him forever in heaven and you can walk out of here today and have peace in your heart and live a new life and know that when you die, you need not fear. And all the Bible says that we need to do To become a daughter or a son of God is simply say this. One, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died, and I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe in you. And two, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And in that moment, when you do that, in that moment, Jesus says, I know you, and you are my child. And the sin that you've done, it's gone. You are no longer guilty. That can be you today. Today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to give you guys a chance to pray, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to become a Christian, and to know that you're forgiven of your sins. And and, and as we bow our heads to pray, I just want you to have the opportunity to repeat after me this prayer. Now, what saves you is Jesus and belief in him. And these words are just a confession of what's taking place in your heart, which is to believe in him. So I just want you to pray this prayer in your head or in your heart. Just pray this. Say, dear Jesus, I have sinned and messed up and done wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. Thank you. Thank you. I want to live a life that honors you for the rest of my days on earth. Help me to walk in your ways. Help your Holy Spirit to live through me. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me new life. And I look forward to spending eternity with you in heaven. Amen. And Father God, I just want to pray over all of these students that you would just bless them today. You give them a wonderful, wonderful Sunday and keep them safe. And you would not allow us to feel shame or embarrassment over what we've done wrong, but we can realize that we are forgiven by you. Thank you for that, God. I love these students, and I pray that they understand the joy they can have, the forgiveness that you give them. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen.